Welcome to the Theology of the Bunny, a podcast for the liturgically oriented. My name is Chris. No, we're not going with that intro. I'm Aaron. And you're Matt. Well, I've already ruined the intro. No, no, this is it. This is it. This is it. This is the intro. This is the intro. This is the intro? Intro. Okay. Well, welcome back to the Theology of the Bunny. We're glad you're here. So today, we're going to do a follow-up from the last talk. Wrapping up economics. Yep. Yeah, but Chris had a question first. Yeah, I do have a question to to start the conversation to get things warmed up. So, brothers, tell me, is a pop tart ravioli? Ooh, no, 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 it's not ravioli. Although ravioli is made out of flour, like the outside, pop tarts probably are too. Ravioli are made out of flour. It's plural. Okay. Yeah. The uh, and uh, but is it just one big ravioli? I would say it's a dessert ravioli. Singular. Raviolo. Uh, no, no, ravioli by definition. They're, I, I go on with definitions again. No, they're boiled. Yeah, they're boiled. You don't boil your pop-tarts? <laughs> I've been making them wrong. Okay, okay. Well, that... That question was terrible, by was the way. It? Okay. I think so. So, but, okay, maybe, oh, maybe this... Oh. I, have a, I have a second question, then, mm-hmm. to follow up with that. Yeah. Is a hot dog a sandwich? Oh, yes. No, we had this discussion. Yeah, this, the seminarians did. They said there's an ongoing debate in the seminary. That's what seminarians do at the seminary. They debate about hot dogs and are they sandwiches? I don't think it is, though, by the way. They it, brought uh, up the caveat of a submarine sandwich, oh, which no. is elongated. I, you know, if you put enough sauerkraut on your hot dog, it probably becomes a submarine sandwich. Have you ever had a Chicago dog? No. Well, it's like all vegetables. They do don't. You, do you miss? I miss chili cheese dogs in my youth. Do you? Yeah. You know who else likes chili cheese dogs? Americans. Sonic the Hedgehog. Okay. Oh, Sonic. Yes, Sonic. Sonic. I call it Sonic. The meme Sonic must go fast. Sonic. I have no idea what you're talking about. No, you hey. don't know about that. Okay. No, are we ready? Yeah. All right. Economics. I think we're never going to talk about economics again because it opens up too many worms and it's too complicated to talk about. Where the worm will not die. But the, <laughs> but, um, yeah, we wanted to wrap up usury, big government, no, big businesses, and does government have authority to meddle in economics? That was the only thing. What would you like to start with? Uh, what's the most? Well, we brought up usury last time. And then didn't even talk about it at all. Sure. You <laughs> going to bring up usury? Sure. Chris is astutely looking something up here. But I, th- I, I guess we can go into usury. I mean, this is where I think we get confused in the modern world. Usury and interest are almost used synonymously, and they're not yeah. synonymous. Usury is charging for the use of money or any fungible good, and I'll explain that in a second. But have, you, have you looked at the actual like definition that Google gives? It's very interesting because of usury because it's something to the effect of like charging high interest. Yes, they always give that. That's actually I, how Calvin tried to change the definition of usury. Any biting interest was immoral, but um, interest is recovery of loss. So they're two very different things. Usury is charging for use of money. Interest is charging for recovery of loss. You mean and is so, that like the ATM? Example, like if I needed to borrow a hundred bucks for you and then you're like, yeah, okay, but the ATM is going to charge me like four bucks and I'm like, okay, I'll pay that four bucks. Yeah, yeah, exactly. The church says there, there are kind of two cases where it's allowable to charge 
charge someone as you're making a loan to them. But these are examples of interest. So where you actually incur a loss um, as part of the process. So yeah, Aaron really needs to borrow 100 bucks from me. But I was like, oh, well, it's one of these fancy ATMs downtown. I can only, like, it's going to charge me three bucks. The My bank's probably going to charge me two bucks. So, you know, will you pay me back 105? <clears throat> I only lent him 100, but, you know, it'd be injustice. I could ask for that five bucks and give them back to me, even though for like the one day loan, like $5 on a one day loan of a hundred dollars, that's an exorbitant interest rate. Mm -hmm. But, you know, um, and then there's also opportunity costs, which are a little bit harder to explain. Um, and it has to be a real opportunity, not just something that in theory could have happened. So like, Aaron meets me downtown and I, he needs to borrow a hundred bucks and I do have a hundred bucks on me. I was like, well, gee, I was just about to use that hundred bucks to go, you know, set up some sort of craft table or something at the farmer's market. And I thought I was going to make like, you know, at least 10 bucks off my wares there. So like, can you, can you pay me back the 110 bucks? Like, and, and I knew I would have made that much. That one's a little bit more controversial in church history. Actually, there's a Pope that said you, um, you should charge, I think it was Pope John II, you should charge less than you would have made off your your opportunity, your business opportunity, and it had to be a very real one, um, just to be sure that you're not, uh, you know, performing user. Did you just try to look up user in the catechism? I did. And, and it's what? not there. And it's not there. I know. I think and it's hilarious. Yeah. I, and you want to know what's interesting, too? I looked up in the... Um, in the index, I looked up the word stealing. It's not there. I looked up the word theft. It's not there. Well, but I know it's got to be in there. No, there's nothing in user in the New Catechism. In fact, like, no, nothing's come from the Vatican since 1745 on usury. I think that was... Pope Benedict Fourteenth was the last one to teach authoritatively on usury. But, it's, I mean, why did we get into this? I think it was a discussion. Yeah, well, yeah. but a discussion me and Aaron were having. Like, usury was treated very very seriously in the church. I'll just read a couple quick quotes. I mean, so St. Ambrose of Milan, he was very black and white with his definition. Whatever exceeds the amount owed is usury. So, hey, that's that's probably a safe approach to take. But then you, you think of someone, a gentle giant like St. Anthony of Padua. Aaron loved this quote. Um, St. <clears throat> Anthony, the usurer is worse than Judas. The traitor, having sold the blood of his divine master, brought back to the priests and princes the 30 pieces he had received, but the usurer guards and keeps his unjust gains. So, I mean, this isn't, when saints, okay, I could go on and on, but saints are talking about it that seriously. Dante put users down in the same circle of hell, I think, as sodomites. So, it's what... I think, like, since we started this whole economic system debate, me and Matt, has, like, probably the most tense, like, thing that's ever happened to our friendship when we've been debating about all this stuff. It's, like, it's opened so many can of worms, and, like, for me, it's changed my worldview, kind of. Not really how I do anything, but how I would have thought the ideal world would have ended up. And, and like, if you take usury out, then you you have a completely different economic system than what we've grown up with and what we're used to. It's really... It kind of it irritated me just because like it was something I thought I knew, and I didn't. Like Belloc kind of oversimplifies it in his Economics for Helen, and I'm not sure where he. I was thinking about this. Like he must have had like a more like current like how their civil courts like dealt with usury because he talks about people going to court, 
And so, anyway, over how he describes usury, Ballock describes usury as if you charge interest on a non-productive loan or if you charge interest or any sort of fee on a productive loan. And if it's on a productive loan, it's fine. And he just gets into the economics of it, saying that, like, society is gained from this transaction because, like, someone made money and then someone, like, charged a fee for the use of his capital. And that's kind of what I went with because, like, that kind of, you can kind of fit that into, like, modern economics. But then... Matt showed me that St. Anthony of Padua quote. And it's basically, no, like if you have, if you have like $100,000 sitting in the bank, you just can't lend it out to make money, period. Like you have to like do something creative with it. Well, so, but where, it get, where you get back to it is, I mean, you were worried that people would never, they would never give it, lend out their money at all. But there's the other side of it. Like somebody coming up to somebody with money saying, can I, can I borrow your money? The natural reaction, at least based off Catholic teaching, would be to enter into like a partnership. But like, but yeah. nowadays people want to go up to somebody with money and say, "Oh no, no, I don't want you to be part of this. I just want to use your money." Like, and that's also a strange request to make too, in a lot of ways. Yes, yeah. So just like when you're dealing, like that's how I would think. Like I'm very like individualistic, especially in like my business dealings. Like, and that's you know my family, our family business. Like we want kind of everyone separate. So like to think in a world where like if you borrowed money from someone you're almost owe it to them to like, they, I don't even know how it worked. Like they would, they would be part of your business. if like you started up a business lending money from someone, which is just like a bizarre, is that Chris? You hearing that? But yeah. we, we haven't explained why usury is wrong. Why is usury wrong? I don't know. So yeah, St. Thomas addresses this. He has a, a, in the Summa, he has some great, great questions about usury, but the way he describes it, remember I said that fungible good thing. So a, a fungible good is something that, is consumed in use and it's it's replaceable so like a, a, a bottle of wine if i lend you a bottle of wine chris the whole point of that like obviously you want to drink that wine you're not just going to put it up on your mantelpiece i guess you could do that but um and that would be a different use of it but the whole point of giving somebody wine is for it to be consumed and so you can't charge somebody for a good that by its very nature is meant to be consumed and then also charge them for using it. Mm. So, you know, to say this bottle of wine is worth 10 bucks, I'll sell it to you for 10 bucks. And not, but I can't say I'll sell it to you for 10 bucks, but then there's a $5 fee for you to drink it as mm. well. That doesn't make any sense. Like so, if you go to, like, say, for example, like a restaurant and they say, okay, uh, if you bring your own bottle of wine, there's a corking fee. Is that an immoral thing to do so I, well that's a little i mean you're also i guess you're using the restaurant there's staff that's performing that that's probably a little bit there may be immoral aspects to it i don't want to i don't want to speak to that specific example because it doesn't it doesn't explain why usury is wrong okay usury is an injustice because you're selling something that doesn't exist if if it helps like the example of like where you can like sell two things like sell the same thing twice is if like a house you can sell the ownership of a house and you can also rent it out like that's mm -hmm. that splitting yeah. thing right like you can you can be renting out the house to someone and then sell it so like you can sell a house because you can sell it to you separately well because that's not a fungible good it's not something that's consumed in use yeah so it'd be like again if i lent you a cup of sugar i can't ask for a cup and a half back or i can't charge you for the cup of sugar and to use it all I can expect is I can expect the exact same amount in return. Though. Yeah. Why, why? Why is usury so evil? Like, why are they put so deep in hell? I don't. I, I. You know. So as to why it's so evil, I. I know. Yeah. I. I actually didn't get a great sense of that. It's a sin against justice, and it's a sin against, I guess, the wider Christian society. 
because a usury has a cumulative effect. Obviously, in the example of you know a cup of sugar, it's it's not that cumulative effect isn't you know, can't as be seen parent. as much. Yeah, but um, yeah, I, I guess as a direct sin against justice. Because they used to like drive users out of town. I remember reading that in Butler Slides of the Saints. It's kind of hard to imagine that happening now because, like, mm. they, I just, our world is so different. And I guess. We're literally running our banks out of town. Yeah. Yeah. The church crazy. tried to set up institutions that would lend. Tell us um, Yeah. They were called the Montes Pietatis. Um, and they were, yeah, it's set up to avoid usury. So essentially it was, and, and this is an example of, like, the church says you can charge. Wait, was this an alternative to a bank? Yeah. Okay. So, and they would, um, but you had to go to the, you had to go to this institution, sometimes swear an oath that you weren't using this just for consumption. Like this was a loan that actually needed to be made. Um, because for consumption, then you'd probably like, you know, people who need to money just to get food deserve charity, not a loan. You actually have to give them money out of justice. So if it wasn't something for consumption, it was something you wanted to like set up a business or help, you know, go on some sort of venture capital gain. Yeah, you would go to this institution and uh, they would they would actually give out loans at interest. But again, the interest there is used in the classical sense of covering losses. So actually it would show up as a fee for, uh, I think it was called salaries and rents. So, you know, these Montes Pietatis had to employ people that had to pay for these buildings. And so any fee that you were charged was just to cover that amount. There was no interest on, there was no usury. So there was no charge to use the money. But that's where the church says, you know, you've incurred a real loss supplying this loan, so you can charge for that. It's really bizarre. Just like how different would, like, yeah, I just, I have a hard time wrapping my head around it. And like, yeah, what, but, what, does it even matter? Like, because there's well, so, so almost... None of us are guilty of usury, but almost all of us have been subjects of usury. Like we've been victims of usury. The modern banking system is pretty inexcusable in a lot of ways. Although, I mean, don't don't think like your savings account is usurious, because like the sa- savings account interest rates are almost always below inflation. So inflation is unfortunately an evil thing that exists in the modern economy. And so the hundred dollars you have now next year is worth less money. So I think that the church teaching you could extend it to say that, you know, charging interest at inflation is literally just covering the loss, you know, for money that you've given out. But anyway, so you you're technically loaning the money in your savings account to a bank for them to use, and you're being paid interest for the use of your money. But no, really, that's just covering inflation essentially. Can I, can I ask a question? Yeah. So, let's say, for example, you buy a house. Yeah. You buy it at, let's say, $130,000. Mm-hmm. Okay? And you sell that house for 185000 Yeah. two years later. Are you... Is that is that still just to do that? Well, so that... I mean, remember, this usury is, is only touching on fungible goods, things that are consumed in use. So money... Is always has always been considered by the church to be a fungible good. A house, I mean, there there could be other factors at play. That wouldn't be usury, though. No, there could be other factors. Like if you're just charging one hundred eighty thousand to gouge some sort of desperate situation, that could still be a sin against oh, justice. Absolutely, and charity. You know, and there's you have to set a just price for goods. Okay, wait. These usury laws, like these, like I feel like all these laws and how they're written come from a time when like money 
just was like we used it way differently. Like I just because they don't they still like we've talked about this. It still doesn't really make sense, you know. Like when they were in times, just was money used differently, and that's why like these user laws just like don't click with me. Is it like you know what I mean? Like why don't they make sense? Or are we just well, a lot of the user laws, especially the way they were written in the states, I think were just written against prohibitive levels of in interest. Oh, right. Which sound like it isn't really again they're using they're conflating user and interest. Right. Now that I guess that's just going to the Latin definitions of those, but that's interesting. There was a talk at the Colby Center. The Economist talked about how all the credit card companies set up their headquarters in Delaware, I think, because it was the only state that didn't have usury laws, so they can charge whatever interest they wanted. Oh wow! Yeah, it's pretty. That's but so, so even Belloc though, like he was 1800s, and he like his idea of usury was wrong compared to like these classical like definitions because so he must have been living in a society that also like had usury laws that were just not right so it's just like it's so bizarre like how far back is this going like and why is it you know it goes back very far i mean even with those montes pietatis institutions what? some people couldn't get loans from them and there was an alternative banking system set up that charged usurious interest rates and i mean actually father Rivera even talks about this they were often run by jews I mean, for whatever historical reason that is, that's that was kind of the beginnings of certain aspects of, I'm not saying all everything you read on the internet is right about Jewish bankers, but, um, you know, there's probably, there's a kernel of truth there, and that was an historical example that fit that. Interesting. Yeah, I guess. Do you, um... Yeah, so, so you're saying that Belloc's definition yeah, in its economics for Helen, like it's, it seems that it's it, not correct. It's not correct. I like this definition because I found it simpler. But now that Matt's explained this, that's it, what most. Sorry. So can 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 we sum up what the difference is between his version and the the? So I think Matt the church definition. would say Saint Thomas also addresses this that you can you can make a loan where the money the capital remains your own, in which case you're allowed to profit from that. So the difference there would be, I make a loan to Aaron for $10,000, but I say, you're not just going to use this money. Like, I, I actually want to be co-owner of your business. I want to have, like, an interest in the health of this business. I want to actually help it succeed. In which, you know, and I say, and in return, I just want 10% of your total business. And, of course, I could I would get 10% of profits at that point. And he's saying, you, you haven't really made a loan at that point. You've, you've given the person use of this money, but it's remained yours. And he says, I think in the the uh, Summa, he talks about how you'd form a society at that point, which I, I think it, it reads like you'd be a business partner. I think, and Bellox was just, I think even a further just perversion of that, saying that it, as long as it goes to a productive, like as long as basically it goes to a business loan, you can charge a fee or interest on it. Because he doesn't bring up societies at all. So I think Belloc, he just must have been living in a time when, I don't know, like, yeah, there had been no church teaching on it. Yeah, you, know, you can see how those are like they're very similar. Like like Saint Thomas is saying you you can charge something, but it's because the money remained yours and you formed this society with the person. Whereas, you know, I I could see if you're slightly more cynical, you're saying, Well, what's the difference? Just charge them some interest, give them the money and then get the principal back. But I think those are very different things. Um and the yeah, the summa I encourage people out there to read the summa sections on the sin of usury. I thought they were, although there is some obviously technical language, St. Thomas is not. Uh, they were pretty short. Yeah, they were short. They were short. Yeah. And they answered all these questions. Is it a sin to be like 
to take out a loan that you know the person is performing usury. Well, St. Thomas actually says no. I mean, you're a victim at that point, but that's unfortunate. It's unjust that the system is that way. But, so I don't want people to worry that St. Anthony of Padua thinks they're all worse than Judas for having loans. Yeah, just because you have a mortgage. Yeah, so. yeah, exactly. Yes. But you, it's it's funny. But, 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 but if you're a mortgage lender, like if you're a mortgage broker, I should say, you better, then then you better go to confession. What would the priest say? I committed usury. Like in one, yeah, there's some Hailberry. old deal. Yeah, one Hailberry. There are old theological. I think this was one from the. I think it was the 1700s. And the, the recommended penance for the sin of usury was three years fasting, the first of which had to be on bread and water. Wow. So, okay. Like, the church treated usury very seriously. Yeah. Just because that's, we've deadened our sense of how serious usury that's, is, that's all. doesn't mean it's not going to be treated seriously. That's a general judgment. Or is, it, is, it, is it one of the sins that cry to God for vengeance? I guess kind of, but not directly. Yeah, oppressing, I, oppressing the poor. Because you're oppressing But that's the main thing I wanted to talk about in usury is that, like, we don't... Like, we have a flawed view of money. Just looking at how the church dealt with usury, like, three years bread and water. That's ridiculous. Three years fast. First of them was bread and water. Three years fast. Okay, sorry. <laughs> yeah, like, that's, like, so just, I don't know. I guess the only thing that just wows me is, like, whoa, like, people used to, like, care about this. Why don't we now? I don't really, like, yeah. It's just, it's just bizarre, so. Yeah, and, you know, it is it is really, yeah, you said, yeah, Pope Benedict Fourteenth is really the last pope that spoke with this. It was in the, um. The encyclical Vix, Vix Pervenit. Uh, and he, he didn't mince words. And he just said, and he just said it like, don't, don't take any more than you lend it out. Yeah. That's yeah exactly. Yeah. Yeah. It's really bizarre. So, hey, can we piss off some Americans? Sure. Yeah. Um, big business. Belloc, that's just one thing I kind of glanced over in the last one. But is it wrong for, like, should businesses be large? I guess specifically I'm talking about branches. Um, like multinational, obviously. Just like, should businesses be allowed by the state to get large? Question. Do you have an answer? Should they be allowed to get? Like, does the state have a duty? Like to, coming coming to, back to what we were talking about before. This was last podcast. But the proprietary state. But the, well, even in a capitalist state, like, does the state have a duty to keep things smaller? And it's just like people, because I find like people have like this natural aversion to large businesses. Like everyone does. Like people go because it's cheap. But everyone like if they have the choice and like the prices around the same, they'll go to the smaller business. Yeah. So like, and and Belloc seemed to have a lot more to say about like why large businesses are long and he claimed that in the medieval times there was social custom and system to keep people from getting large so where did that go i suppose and is that is that right is that just for businesses to get large i don't know the answer by the way i was just i guess i mean we have to what do, what do we even mean by large the obvious examples we talked about them last time walmart apple amazon yeah like by the time you've basically formed some sort of Monopoly, where you're not only can people not really enter the system, but you're forcing the existing people out of it too. Um, yeah, it's it's hard. Like those are just examples to one extreme where how things can get bad. But where where does it actually become immoral? I don't know that I can say that. I'm not saying we couldn't figure out where it is. I just I don't think I have the theological underpinnings to decide that. I guess I don't either. But do you think like what about laws like you no know, external advertising like advertising is to me immoral because it's just forcing people to buy things they don't need 
Mm. Like, what's the point of advertising? Is there any, like, moral justification for it? Modern advertising is literally playing to our fallen nature and trying to manipulate it. All, but, like, modern, all advertising is modern. Actually, it's cool. Belloc has some essays, because he... There's Catholic advertising. About, you mean, like, we're going to advertise this podcast? Yeah. Yeah. But, I mean, like, like, you'll see, like, people advertise their businesses, like, even on, like, the most traditional like church, man, church Mantilla, bulletins. Mantilla, like businesses yeah. and stuff like that. You know, like, yeah. I mean, it just no. kind of draws people's attention to the fact that, you know, that this is a service that's being offered that they wouldn't necessarily know. I suppose. But I mean, again, what he was saying in terms of marketing and advertising, like if it's appealing to, food, you know, like, yeah, food, or like, or sex, sex. I mean, if it's using these carnal Anything things. appealing to your lower faculties. Yeah. It's pretty, I mean, you're, you're trying to lay a trap for one of your brethren. Well, like, yeah, that's that's like the state would have to, to govern that. So, like, in, like, if we were like, oh, let's try to create a Catholic state, like, would banning advertising be, like, a plausible step? Banning so. all advertising? Probably not. Why not? Why, what, like, what do you need advertising for? So why people know. Say, I mean, everything is so big. Well, you mean, have it's a impossible to know. But that's an advertising. Oh, no. I, okay. No. I mean, like, it's not, like, it's not, like, shoe store. Like, that's not but an, I mean, that's like, not let's, an let's advertising. Let's say, let's say, like, for, oh, let's say for example, you live in a large city. Yeah. You know? Um, I, I live in a small, great city that everyone should live in. Yeah, go on. But, I mean, I, I mean, you guys live in a larger city. And let's say, for example, you know, you on the If the, I'm 30 west and end, I don't know where to get shoes by the time I'm 30, No, but I'm saying, like, say, for example, like, it's it's something that's a little bit more niche. Like, let's say, for example, Aaron needs a particular beard oil that is only produced by, like, this, you know particular monk that's you know living on a mountain on the west end you know Dude. and yeah and, like how would you how would you know this austere monk has this perfect beer oil unless he advertised i suppose you know? the question well first of all, i'll say though like advertising is a new thing and it hasn't existed forever like once like i was saying belloc no not belloc chesterton has a bunch of essays just talking about advertising while it's like coming in and it came from america and he's got a really bunch of witty essays on it but like no, I don't like just what bothers me about that example is I don't need beard oil. Like I, I like beard oil, but like mm. I don't need it. So like is this forcing me to buy something that I don't need? And then like making me like, oh, I need to get a bigger better job so I can go buy beard oil. Right? Mm. Like would people be off a lot better if they didn't know what they couldn't get anyway? Like yeah. Yeah, I guess it's it does serve a different purpose in like such a consumer driven economy. I think you could have pretty neutral advertising in like your example, your distributed state example. Uh, so I mean, Joe's casket store. We sell caskets. Yeah, but here. that's that's a sign. I I'm mean, not I'm not saying like I'm saying any off. Yeah, you off advertise bill- it on the back of your no, no. church bulletin. Any okay, watch your bulletin. Yeah, like people. How about talking? People used to do that. Yeah, once sometimes, upon a time. sometimes you just don't know things exist like Christmas say. I think that's a pretty. It's, I'm not saying it's a morally positive use of advertising, but I think it's pretty morally neutral. I just don't think advertising is needed. And I feel like the abuse, like, you could do away with the use with advertising because it's abused too much. Just saying. Yeah, but we, we're, I mean, we're in, we're in a society. Actually, I don't see a lot of advertising in my daily life. I use ad blockers online if I'm, I'm at work. And then Have you I, been on the bus, though? Like, you know, like. What's a bus? No. But, <laughs> sorry, doctor. Um, the, <laughs> no, but. Yeah, okay, sorry. The only reason I brought up advertising was if if for some reason someone decided to become Catholic and headed a state, would advertising be something that they could look at and like regulate? And would that be moral? 
And I'm just, I just want to piss off America. I guess it depends on uh, how your distributed state was set up. Okay, it's not, if it's a tiny little hamlet, probably wouldn't need advertising. Right? Everyone knows Joe sells caskets four doors over or whatever. Correct. Like, and like, but, if you didn't, you just ask at church. No. Right? You'd ask your. You don't always want to ask in the throes of. of this, you know, are you are you are you advocating speaking in church? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, just uh, you should go to Assumption Grotto. I should go to Assumption Grotto. Yeah. Talk to Michael Morris. You guys are the worst. Okay, well, okay, but like, I I want to I want to actually just touch on this, which I think I think is an interesting point though. I don't know if you've noticed this or not, especially in Christian circles, we do terrible at this. I say we in the in the general sense, not personally, but like you will see, for example. And especially in the Christian market, like in the, and especially in the Protestant market, um, where they will advertise in a way that um, set, basically speaks to your inadequacy. So it'll say things like, you know, it'll kind of almost imply that, you know, you're broken. We, you know, we all know that you're broken. You mean like Catholic match? Like don't spend this Christmas alone. Stuff it? like that. Yeah. Like, like you would, you know, like, you know, man, 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 never, you know, man was never meant to be alone. Catholicmatch.com. Not a sponsor, but if you want to sponsor us, Catholic match would be great. Um, yeah. yeah. But like, once again, that's just another example of a more, but wait, I guess like the main question was, can the state govern the economy? Is it its duty? You know what? And okay. More well, important, more importantly, is a pop tart ravioli. Is it, uh, I, Just kidding. Yeah, but you know, it's funny why we're never going to talk about anything economics related again is because it's way too complicated and difficult to answer. It is I feel like we need it. a good Catholic economist to actually come and speak. Oh, that'd be cool. That'd be cool. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't listen to that podcast. But to answer your question, yes, you would. probably there is a role for the state because we live in a fallen world and people will try to take advantage of other people's. Especially well, in a and, and the church is already like ruled on certain yeah. things, saying like this is a you can't have this economic system. So if the church is ruled on it, it's up to the state to enforce those rules. Yeah. Well, that's the proper view of, this, of the state. Yeah, but by separation state, of church and state. by state we mean monarch. So yeah. good old enlightenment so, wearing its ugly head. So that like uh, yeah. So once then so bringing up this topic, just getting your head around the fact that. Well, you don't have to, but I think you should get your head around the fact that you, the, the state can govern economics. It's not like free market capitalism is just stupid. Because if that were true, then there would just be one company really fast. You have that Robocop like dystopia where they have the company. Oh, no, that's Alien. The Alien, right? Where every, like the company and government's gone, which is like basically where we're at. Like companies can bully our governments by this point. And a very simple, I mean, a very simple example. I do know what buses are. They're the big things that get in the way of me trying to drive fast. Yeah, cool. But that in <laughs> which is also a sin. Uh, no, they drive below the speed limit. <laughs> oh. but, no, there there are some pretty horrible ads on our buses. Yeah, like, like yeah. semi pornographic. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. If it, I don't think and any Catholic, no Catholic could say that the state should have no role in in regulating that sort of advertising. And didn't the states like the, like lewd? There's a, there used to be laws against that. Yeah, yeah, of course, of course. The, and that's the thing. Yeah, the U.S. used to have all sorts of good Catholic organizations actually advocating for this, even in Hollywood, right? Like they had, oh, yeah. yeah, they had Hollywood standards. Hollywood standards. Oh yeah, and they all got them. taken away. Oh, that was a the first guy who like, hey, did you just say speeding's immoral? Yeah. 
Can we talk about that? Sure. Why speeding a moron? So, well, speeding and putting people in danger. Oh. Well. But it does it does say, what is it? It's, I remember it's actually where it is. Are you sure it still says that anymore in it, that category? It does. It's actually. been heavily edited as of late. Hilariously enough, they talk about, where is it? Yeah. They don't talk about theft or usury, but they can talk about tobacco and its abuses. Oh, really? Yeah. How funny. Um, Should we even talk about the catechism of the Council of Trent? Basically, all you need to know is that it says our God and the Muslims' God is the same. Is this is not the catechism of the Council of Trent. This is catechism of the Catholic Church. Sorry. Oh. Yeah, the, the GP2's catechism. Sorry. It says that the Muslims' God and our God is the same. Yes. The great deceiver, Allah, is the same yes. as our God. That, that just doesn't make any sense. And then... Yeah, so, oh, so okay, so, from the Catechism of the Catholic Church. The sure norm for the faith. Okay. The virtue of temperance disposes us to avoid every kind of excess, the abuse of food, alcohol, tobacco, or medicine. Those incur grave guilt who, grave. who by drunkenness or a love of speed, endanger their own and other safety on the road, at sea, or in the air. Wait. If you endanger somebody's life, Whoa, 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 whoa. So that mean, like, driving a race car is... Gravely sinful, like mortal sin. Those who incur grave, grave guilt who, by drunkenness or a love of speed, endanger their own or other safety on the road. So driving so a yes. race car is gravely immoral. Skydiving is gravely immoral. Violating temperance. Because you love speed. Because <laughs> you're falling. It's just thrill-seeking. It's well, like riding a horse fast. Yeah, it's, it's funny. I remember hearing discussions about this on Catholic Radio. And I think they came down and said, and I don't think, I, I didn't agree with this, but they said, Skydiving is probably only immoral if you know if you have a family at home and you're like the breadwinner. That's a horrible decision because if you die, like you leave people in a very difficult situation. I don't care about but speeding, speeding. So because skydiving, I, like no one does speeding, that. Everyone's I mean, speeding. What are you talking about speeding? There is a kilometers an hour here. Like if you're going sixty-five kilometers an hour in a fifty on like a crazy eight-lane Toronto street, you're not you're putting zero lives in. Mm. Yeah, but like, okay, sure. But right, every, like every time you drive, you're putting your life in danger. So, but I just intemperately, you can't put your life in danger. Is that what we're getting at? I just like, where, I, need, I would need like a rigid rule for this. Like, how many kilometers over the speed limit am I allowed to go? That's what I need to know here. Why can't the Vatican do something useful and get that information? Like, for, for example, it like says 20 over what does, it, what does it say? It says for what? Love of speed. So, if you're like, yes. what about love of getting somewhere fast? No, well, that's, remember, that's it, love of speed. It only frames it love of speed that puts yours or someone else's life in danger. So yeah. here in Canada, I mean, on the highway, the general flow of traffic is about 15 to sometimes 20 kilometers an hour over, over. the speed limit. Yeah. Police don't really enforce it below that or even at that level. So I think I, I think it would be really hard to make an argument that you're putting anyone's life in danger by following the normal flow of traffic. Mm-hmm. It's interesting though, like if you go to the states, like they're especially like in in New York State, for example, they are so hardcore. Like oh, it, you go three miles over, and they're like, oh yeah, they're on you. I think so the state fast. has obviously a total right to make those laws, and then obviously the corresponding right to enforce them. Mm-hmm. But in in Canada, that's not how. At least that's not how it's practiced anywhere that I've ever driven in Canada. I've driven right by cops going fifteen kilometers an hour. Easily over the speed limit on the highway, they just they ignore you. They mm. they do not care. Yeah, I'm not saying you won't get a ticket. Anyone who visits Canada, you could easily get a ticket for that. My sister got one for driving 59 in a 50 in a busy part of Toronto, and they were just pulling people over like a conveyor belt. 
just to make cash. Mm. Yeah. So especially like the end of the month when they have to make a certain. Like, oh, cash. now we're gonna yeah. Police say quotas don't exist. Do they? Yeah. Really? I still think they do. I do. Mm. I have no idea. We probably won't get sponsored by any police boards. Oh, anyway, shucks. In sharpen speeding. Gravely yeah, simple. But, but Gravely a, simple. Like yeah. The, well, yeah. Those where, who, where did they, where did Dante that, put, that's the thing. Where did Dante put them? There's two. Where did Dante put them? Well, listen. I'm listening. Right. He, he, Drunkenness he, talked about too. Yeah, <laughs> but it, but it, it's talking about temperance, right? Yeah. So it's saying like mentions these things, you know, of the abuse of food, alcohol, tobacco, or medicine, right? If you are endangering people's lives, then it's a grave sin. Mm. He's not saying it's a grave sin if you're going 20 over, you know, and following the natural flow of traffic. There are all sorts of different violations of virtues. And, like, even some of the milder ones that you're probably thinking of right now are just, they could even just be imperfections. But they're still imperfections. Mm -hmm. We should still try not to. I was actually thinking for one length, as my penance, I would only go to speed with it. I remember I told this to Aaron, and he was like, "I think that'd be more of a penance for everyone else around you, yeah. <laughs> not just for you." <laughs> well, we we have a we have a mutual priest friend who refuses to go above the speed limit, and I can guess who this is. Yes, you can. <laughs> yeah, and, and uh, he and also my wife's cousin, she's also that same way. So I actually, but I can't get her to a Latin mass. How does that make any sense? That's probably because it would take takes too, too long. long. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Really. Really. Oh, man. Hey, next topic? Yeah, let's, let's talk about it. So um, here's here's the, the big question that is always asked this time of year. We're coming into Christmas. We're in the second week of Advent currently. Um, if you follow the, the calendar, and we haven't started at Michaelmas or whatever, um, but Martin Miss, sorry, excuse me, Martin Miss. Um, yeah. So the question is: Is it immoral to tell your children about the existence of Santa Claus, and in particular, not just not like can we say that he existed at a time, but to be like, you know, oh look, Santa came down and down the chimney, and he left these wonderful presents under your tree. Look, Aaron, you got this, you know, pump action rifle that you've been wanting for so long. Yeah, he shot Santa with it. He shot. (laughs) Is it immoral? Is it immoral? immoral? Probably not. Can it lead to undesirable effects? Wait, you're saying it's not immoral? I'm saying it can lead to undesirable effects. That would have been the end of that. Like, it's lying. I'm sure there's something that's stupid. I'm going. I'm going to begin with my argument because I'm the most formed in my argument. Okay. Okay. And to preface this. This was we kind of we read a an article posted on One Peter Five by Steve Skojek where he waxed poetic about the necessity of Santa to forming oh, the spiritual lives. Now of that children. is not oh, okay. That's it. I'm defending that. Anyway, go on. <laughs> exactly. You're defending Skojek? <laughs> yeah, I think I'm in. You're gonna defend Skojek, the guy who tells you, who's gaslighting you and that saying I, you can't talk about Sede 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 Yeah. Okay. Take this for what it is. It is from. The, the current catechism, but I think, for the faith. but I think <laughs> while you read that, I'll see if St. Thomas addressed this in the Summa directly, which okay. I'm sure he did. Okay. Yes. So they quote, uh, actually he quote, the catechism quotes St. Augustine, um, where he says a lie consists in speaking a falsehood with the intention of deceiving end quote. 
The Lord denounces lying as the work of the devil. You are of your father, the devil. There is no truth in him when he lies. He speaks according to his own nature, for he is a liar and the father of lies, end quote, St. John. So my, my opinion is that, so is it a falsehood? Yes. It checks that box. Sorry, I totally hit the table. That's three lashings. Um, no, the... Did so you it, intend to deceive? It, and you fully intended to deceive because you, you told them that Santa exists for the mere fact of trying to you know, create this sense of, of wonder and awe at Christmas time. Therefore, you know, I, I say it's immoral to tell your children that Santa literally came down your chimney and put out the, you know, put these gifts under the tree and you have to leave out these, these cookies and milk, which obviously should, should be given to Santa because he's clearly not a diabetic at all. Okay. <laughs> okay, wait. Wait, okay. Okay. This wait, is... before you defend it, can I just say what my middle ground problem with it is? Sure. We live in such cynical times. Aaron will admit this. I think that's one of the generational spirits affecting certainly traditional Catholics, but probably wider society. So kids, you know, for the most part, aren't being raised in the traditional faith. Their their only exposure to our Lord and the truths of the faith is kind of a watered-down version once a week, if they're lucky. And they hear about Christmas and Santa in the context of we're also celebrating our Lord's birth at this time, and that's kind of the end of the discussion there. So they've conflated these ideas in their mind that, yeah, Santa is part of this whole church thing, I think. I don't really know what church is about. don't really know what Catholicism is about. Obviously not at a conscious level. And then when they find out the Santa thing is fake, they're like, oh, yeah, that Santa thing only happened at Christmas time. Okay, so that whole thing was fake. That's the only thing I worry about. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying that would happen in everyone's life. This is probably just like some sort of paranoia in my life that I would corrupt my children's faith if I ever told them or convinced them that Santa is a thing. Obviously, he did exist at some point. But then, you know what? It probably would be a lot more innocuous and benign in a, a full-on traditional Catholic. So I think it's not necessarily an issue, especially if you celebrate it on his feast day. Leave some gifts out on December 6th. You know, that'd be great. Right. So this came from... But you would literally leave some gifts out and say, these are from St. Nicholas of Myra himself. No, because... He has appeared to us <laughs> in, a, in a beautiful private revelation. He said nothing, no. but he decided to leave some coins in your I shoe. would use Jesuit Here's... equivocation, and uh... I would say... There are some gifts in your shoes. Perhaps St. Nicholas inspired that act. Or maybe he's the one that brought them down. Maybe. <laughs> maybe. Fully in my mind saying he didn't. Um, wow. I, I agree, so, so I agree you're, with that. So, like you, that. so you I would like follow that. this like Jesuit-style ambiguity that mm. that certain modern uh -huh. pontiffs really are, are, are No, no. That Jesuit ambiguity about. came from... Um, the Reformation time when they had to lie to their people who were no, trying to torture them. It's not that they lied; it's just that they, they didn't lie. You're not under an obligation. Like Chris, you can ask me a question, but I'm not under any moral obligation to answer you. So you, if you want to find out some truth that's inside my head, you have to prove it. I don't have to give you that information. So you, so these Jesuits were being accused of being Catholics, and all they would say is, "You have to prove that. You haven't shown any evidence of that." 
they wouldn't say, no, I deny the faith. I deny all these tenets. But they would say, you like, they wouldn't admit it necessarily. I just, mm. Would you say that's okay. not a, okay. like a, a sin of omission? St. Nicholas. St. Nicholas. Now, I can see the abuse of this, okay. but it is nice. St. Nicholas was a great guy, and he gave money to Children. poor, poor families who... He, this guy was gonna have to sell his daughters to, into slavery to cover their dowry. To co- cover their dowry, and I think he hid it. What he hid it in their shoes or something. Anyway, that's because a lot of Eastern European countries they hide stuff in people's shoes. Anyway, you know, if we went, I think it would be a lot more innocent if we went to Eastern Europe and saw what they did. But is it yeah, in, like the Krampus? Or yeah, Krampus. Called. Oh, Krampus. Yeah, the, so the anti Santa that takes you to hell if you've been bad. Okay. Yeah, but okay. How about that? Like, is Krampus immoral to say like if you're bad? Like, this is you're telling children this. It's like a step up to who Satan is. Maybe it's someone. It's it's more tangible to them, right? Like, if you're bad, someone's gonna take you to hell. Or like, if you're good, someone's gonna give you gifts. Like, if you're good and someone's gonna get, give you gifts, that's a true statement. If you kind of just cover it up with flowery like Saint Nicholas language, could you not just be like? It, could it not be a teaching moment for them, right? Like saying, like your good, good actions will be rewarded. We're, which is we're, true. We're, we're not saying that. Well, when I say we, I mean me. What I'm saying is that I still think it's immoral to, to lie, full on lie to your children, because I think what it does is it it, it decreases your credibility. I can tell you I from agree. personal experience when my mom told me that Santa wasn't real, I didn't want anything to do with her. She was a liar and a do you have wounds? Yeah, oh my goodness. Wait, wait, how old were you? I remember when I found out. No, you do remember. I do remember. I remember where I was. I remember where I was at my grandparents. And I went up to my mom and I said, like, this happened and at school, is it true? And she broke and she's like, yeah. And I was like, lie to me. Did you cry? Yeah, absolutely. How old were you? Probably twenty. Probably <laughs> see, you know, carry the two twenty-five. <laughs> no, no, actually, no, how old are you? you Probably seven or eight. Seven or eight. Yeah, I think mine was around the time. That's one of my early childhood memories. I was beside my parents' garage. I remember being told, but I didn't have a horrific moment. But okay, wait, let's back up. It doesn't really matter what your personal moment with realizing Santa wasn't true. Like, do you not think that there is? But it, but it, but it does matter. The subjective experience points to an objective, objective reality. reality. Okay. There was a falsehood what? that was intended okay. to deceive. Yes. Yes. I fully believe that my mom would not lie to me. You're and she the told table. me. Chris is hitting the right. table. You're right. I was right. to hit the table. 12 lashes. 12 so. <laughs> okay, wait. It goes okay. up exponentially. There's okay. interest. Let's say, you know what? I'll probably agree that that was wrong. But what happens, situation where your parents do the faux lying thing that Matt's laid out, and, and and it's it's just the Jesuit ambiguity. The Jesuit ambiguity. Yeah, you both bring the gifts down, and the kids are like, "Who are these from?" Oh, You're yeah. like, "I don't, I don't know. know. It would have been Santa." Yeah, like, isn't that fun? Is it like <laughs> because you don't, you don't know who brought being... which gift down at that point, so you're not lying. You actually don't know if the mom or dad. You can work out. Brought that but like, gift into the room. don't. I don't know. Our kids. Should you just start with kids, just like right at the truth, just like this is the truth. I guess like has a, like a trad Latin rigorous that i am like i kind of yeah that kind of appeals to me just like yep this is it it's, or, can, or it's also such a recent phenomenon that how recent oh like, so gifts i think historic i mean epiphany was the huge gift exchange time mm-hmm. i'm sure there were gifts exchanged on christmas day and, dis- and then on 6th, december 6th so like i don't even know why we need to defend a tradition that you know doesn't date back 
that far and is certainly not integral to the practice of the faith. Mm. And uh, Steve Skoljak's article was kind of nice. Again, it waxed poetical about how, you know, G.K. Chesterton's approach to how you know, some of the only things worth believing are fairy tales. And if any of you read, have read Orthodoxy, you know, I, I finished that chapter being like, oh, yeah, that's the only thing worth believing in is fairy tales in, in Chesterton's, you know, usual witty, you know, concise style. But I don't know. I, I, I think there are bigger hills to die on. I'm willing to let this one just totally... You just let it die. What about like a December the 6th, like for your young ones, just like, you know, stuff shows up. If they ask directly, you would just be like, oh, no, we did oh that. Oh, my gosh, these three guys from... They broke into the house. No, no, I mean, like, has the parents, has your parents. Oh, just, like, put, put stuff in December the 6th. Oh, is that, you're talking the three wise men? Yeah. Oh, that'd be funny. Like, these guys show up. These guys just, like, yeah, they came. Started from... putting shock letters above our doors. Yeah, our door. Door. <laughs> yeah. Or maybe, you know what, maybe we do need to just follow the example of our current Holy Father. And we Go just on. need to say, when our child, child comes to us and says, Mom, Dad, is, is Santa real? We just say, I will not say a word. I got that. You will need to, you know, we'll let, we'll let, we'll we'll let, let this settle down. Yeah, we'll let, we'll let the media help you to, to inform to, your decision. Yeah. As, as for me, I will say nothing. Why not? Why not? I mean, it's, I mean, it's our current Holy Father. I mean, it's, it's a great example. Are you a seven-year-old crying again? <laughs> no, wait, but wait. What happens if, like, as a family, yeah, you did something fun for younger kids? On like the Epiphany, like three yeah. wise men, and then like I don't know, like I don't, maybe, I don't think you there's would, anything wrong saying, in celebrating it. Sure, but I'm just saying, no, that, but I'm just saying, not like, saying directly, you, don't say to them, "This was done by this person." Oh yeah, physically coming down your chimney. Didn't someone get arrested for going around yelling in the states? I just saw that. Uh, like someone got arrested for yelling somewhere in California that Santa's not real. Throwing all those truth bombs. Truth bombs. Wow, that's sad. <laughs> that's Justin, isn't it? The truth grenades. <laughs> yeah. True. Oh, oh yeah, goodness. Justin. Oh boy, we we actually ran into somebody dressed up as Santa in uh, downtown of the town we're currently sitting in the other day, and he uh, didn't he congratulate him on his dealings with Arius? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The poor guy had no idea. Oh my gosh! Actually, this is one of our friends who he says it how it is. He yeah, he's a very he's very black and white his approach. To it. Yeah, he said when the Catholic monarch comes back, and then he will go volunteer for his army. I was like, are you going to throw grenades? He's like, I won't throw grenades, Aaron. I'll throw truth bombs. Yeah. Because he's spreading the truth through grenades. But you know what? If that man went home and looked up Arius, I bet he repented of his evil of dressing up as Santa. Oh. Did he t- Did he say he was Santa? Yes. Did he? He said, ho, 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 oh, I am Santa here to oh. give you cashew chicken. Oh, that's a lie with an intent. That's an intent with an intent to deceive. Now, like, if it's not a grave lie, is it a grave no. sin? I don't think, first of all, I don't think that's a lie. I mean, there's been a long tradition of acting, right? But, you know, you know when people are acting. We knew he wasn't. But actually like, saying maybe that. children wouldn't. And I, and obviously, you as full grown adult men understand this is not Santa. So but I mean, if I mean, let's a, be honest. Justin, would Justin have known? Could Justin have potentially known it wasn't really Santa? I think he knew. Okay, just but I don't know. I I can't defend Santa. You know, if you guys are so, but like to go for the lying, I think lying is the wrong way to like attack that because is it lying? Like, it's a, not, is it a falsehood? But that's so... Is it a falsehood? Something that Name it! Answer that thing! Oh, the sorry. answer is yes. The answer is yes. It's a falsehood. <laughs> but there's just something that's like, it's not... Oh, God, I don't even think it's venially sinful. But I just... I, okay. Yes. It is venial sinful to lie to your kids and be like, Santa's coming down the chimney. He's brought you these presents. Exactly. 
because it's a false of the He lined up at Walmart and got you this Hatchimal made in China, stamped right on the bottom of it. Yeah. I don't know how kids fall for this. Yeah, I remember actually. Because kids are illiterate. Because kids are stupid. But, like, is... I, okay, you know what? I, I would just say that, like, to have, like, an aura of mystery around this by just, you know, embellishing it with certain, like, silly stories. Also, there's a thing there... Oh, just I ignoring mean, what I say. No, no, no. I mean, I, I think you bring up a very valid point. Thank you. I think the the interesting thing is that, you know how, like, they say, like, lies always breed lies and read lies, right? Like, it just kind of it just kind of compounds and snowballs. Like, for example... You will have a kid who will be like, "Wait a minute, mom! There's a, a made in China thing on the back bottom of my Hatchimal," and the and if the mom still is like, "I, you know what? I haven't decided to decided to tell my kids who the real Santa is yet. I'm not ready to do that yet." She'll go, "Oh, honey, well you gotta understand, like Santa, he works with people." In 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 these is, in these third world countries, he gives them. He gives Hey, I'm saying it's possible. Free market capitalism. He, he, he moved like production to China. China. He might have. <laughs> to oppress the poor and to slave But 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 I mean maybe maybe but again maybe the wife maybe the mother says you know you know he's helping the the people in China have jobs you know but he's they, not. They need, they need to buy some shoes for the mama please. I don't know what that's from. <laughs> I don't know what that's from. Alright, fine. But I guess I'm envisioning a family I don't that you, a lot of worship where you have so these okay. little cutesy, like, you know, you get your kid an orange for Christmas. That is also, yeah, a little, like, an put orange. a coin in their shoe and, like, two orange. bucks. No. I don't know. I agree with Santa because, frankly, I have nothing more to say. I thought I could just is, it. Is it, a, is it a falsehood with the intent to deceive? Yes. To tell your child? Yes, but it can be done but so it, it, it is not. Therefore, it's so, a lie. Okay. Most ways how it's done now. You're gonna tell. Yes. You're gonna tell Saint Augustine. I'm not telling anyone anything. You know what? I'm just saying. I'm you know saying, what I hate about it? It gives, and not that I take any of their arguments seriously. It gives such easy fodder to the new atheist too. Well, you don't believe in the tooth fairy or Santa Claus either. Flying so, spaghetti monster. Uh, flying spaghetti monster. But as long as you claim that the flying spaghetti monster is the one true God, together we we worship the same God. As long as you say Abraham also worshipped the flying spaghetti monster, the catechism would say that. Ah, sure does, it, does it really? Yeah. I know. Yeah. Do you, you know the number. Where is that? Isn't it 844? 844. I don't know if that's actually true. But are we done with, like, would you, okay, would you allow for, like, a very slight, easily dispelled, kind of like, just like a mysterious, like, there's this weird thing that might happen that you would tell your kids just to, like, kind of make it fun for, like, four-year-olds. Would you, like, allow for that? You just, no, no. no. I would not. I would tell them that, that, that there was has, one. Has I like would tell, I would it, tell it, them that, that Santa Claus did exist as a person, right? Yeah. And in St. Nick as a person. He loved kids. And because we, we desire as Catholics to imitate saints that like him, on yeah. on Christmas, we're going to give you. You're going to receive some surprises, just like he surprised. We're not going to tell you what those surprises are. So there's still going to be that building of anticipation on something that they might get. But I'm not going so to tell much them. Healthier approach. And if you disagree with that, then I have some words of Saint Catherine of Siena to tell you, Aaron. I don't. It's clear that the light is not in you. I don't. Dis- <laughs> I don't disagree with that. I can just see like for people. I give up. All right, fine. Fine. Okay. Yeah. Fine. We're done. <laughs> We're done. Oh man. I don't even know. Okay, that's great. So, um, so yeah, to end off the podcast, then, um, I want you guys to tell us about your little uh, coming back to meeting Santa Claus this week. 
841. 841? Okay. I'd like to read it aloud. Yeah. So, Catechism of the Catholic Church, 841. The plan of salvation also includes those who acknowledge the Creator, and the first place amongst who are the Muslims. These profess to hold the faith of Abraham, and together with us adore the one merciful God, mankind's judge on the last day. Well, obviously, that'll have to be completely rescinded as utter vile blasphemy on certain levels just because they profess to hold the Abrahamic faith. I think that's the exact same thing. If an atheist professed to hold the Abrahamic faith and that the Abraham actually worshipped a flying spaghetti monster, we would see how ridiculous that statement is. Like, I don't I don't care that they, they really think they have the faith of Abraham. They don't. On an objective level, they don't. Well, that was just made up to give them... Yeah, but that's quoted the from Nostra Aetate. That's in quotation marks. Is it? That's in a Vatican II document. Vatican II. Vatican II. Anyway, there's going to be a lot of copy pasting and actually just deleting. Throw it all yeah. in a dumpster and set it on fire. Words are going to die. Yeah. Catechism of the Council of Trent. Yeah. Just yeah. bring it back. Just bring it back. Yeah. Okay. So, very good. Where were we going? I want you guys to tell, tell us about your experience of meeting Santa Claus and his hired help uh, last week. Oh, yeah. We were in St. Thomas on the Immaculate Conception. And we were sitting down to a delightful meal at Cafe Sam. Which, which is which is the best Thai food in the world, South, southwestern Ontario. Anyway. Ontario. I mean, what mm. about maize and Worley? Anyway, sure. Well, okay. Anyway, and then please sponsor us, yeah. Uh, <laughs> and then <laughs> these annoying people started coming in and like telling us Merry Christmas, and we're like, we're Catholic. It's, it's Advent. Advent. And we're just squinting at Not them. Not only we're Catholic, we're trad, so we're grumpy. So we're we grumpy, it. yeah. <laughs> and we just did a three-hour fast. We're super uncharitable at the moment, and we just wanted some food. And then they came back later and said, "We paid for your meal thanks to like the downtown St. Thomas. Thomas Downtown yeah. Development Board." Yeah. yeah. Eight of us or nine of us. It was delightful. So yeah. thank you. And you had and you had seminarians among you. Yeah, three. Amazing. Amazing. Quizzed one of them on what an adequate penance for usury would be, and he said to give out an interest-free loan, which I thought was a great answer. That is a great answer. And then we told him, Edge for three years of fasting. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I thought, I just thought that was good. Yeah. Yeah, given modern times to the modern mind, an interest-free loan would be painful enough. And three Hail Marys is painful enough for the modern Catholic, right? Oh, geez, that's one too, or two too many. So, okay. Well, um, to end the podcast, so um, book recommendations, I would say read, read the Catechism. It's fantastic. Uh, Minus okay. eight. <laughs> <laughs> Pick yourself up the Catechism of the Council of Trent. It's, yeah. it's actually great. Actually, it's free online. Tell me about it. Right. But it's great. The The actual copy I have, the Loretta Press copy, is like so nice. It's got a hard cover. It looks pretty, it's pretty snazzy. Can I recommend something we recommended in the pilot episode? Yes. Yeah. Because nobody will ever hear that. It'll be in the dumpster with Nostra Aetate. <laughs> it's, um, the, because we talked about Jesuit equivocation, Hunted Priest by Father John Gerard. He was a priest that uh, lived during the Elizabethan persecution of Christians. He was a Jesuit back when the Jesuits were. I'm gonna go PG here. They were badass. I mean, they they took the faith so seriously. I mean, that's he spent probably as much time in jail or at least in some sort of government confined seclusion as he did out in the out in the world. But basically, he came from an upper class family um, and used his kind of position in society to essentially try to infiltrate um, 
upper-class Protestant circles and convert them back to the faith. I mean, he was willing to die for this. He sent, I forget how many, dozens of seminaries. Yeah, to seminary at a time when it was not just when high were, treason. When was the last a, time you could point to a priest and he would be like, oh, I sent 33 kids to the Sam? Yeah. Ever? No. No, and, and and yeah, and it was a high treason just to be a Catholic priest. So this was an autobiography, right? Written yeah. at the request of his superiors, they mm-hmm. ordered him to write, which makes it that much better because like it's not done out of his own like pride. It's just like, and he writes a lot. Like actually, all my works were poor, and like other people yeah. did better things. Yeah, he and he just in passing will mention how oh yeah, and then I taught this person how to uh, meditate, how to do mental prayer. Like it, it just says it was a matter of fact as duty of a priest. So I mean, it just gives you. An idea of what a true spiritual father looks like, and it has you know great action scenes trying to escape from prisons, and it involves a gunpowder plot at the end since he was accused in that plot just very briefly. But he was stuck in a hidey hole for three days, yeah. and the lady whose host was it three days, or the lady whose host she's like, oh no, I don't know if he's gonna die or not, so I'm just gonna fast the whole time too, so when I die, I'll know he's dead. Oh, these people were these serious. People. Wow. Yeah. So, yeah. haunted priest, amazing book. Let's let's do let's do a movie. Let's just like do a GoFundMe or a Patreon or like Kickstarter and just like kickstart that movie. Oh, who 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 that would be that would be a good movie. Question: Who would be the priest? Who would you who would you? Doctor Heather Marshall. (laughs) He's he's so dreamy. (laughs) No, it has great scenes. I mean, they would. I okay. Spoiler alert. It's not really a spoiler. It's historical. But they would like write secret messages to each other with a lemon juice and orange juice, and then if you burnt the paper ever so slightly, the message would come through and like. He's rappelling across ropes across the prison yard to get out. Like it would be it's like be double. Great. It's like double of seven priest. It actually happened. Because the whole time you're reading it, you just sit there thinking, "Wow, he's actually describing events that happened in Latin." Luckily, it was translated into English for the rest of us. But yeah, that's great. That's pretty cool. I don't know who. Who do you think would star in this movie? I don't know who. Who like? How old would he have been? Ooh, at the time of it, I don't. Probably in his forties at most. I would think. Yeah, I would say so too. Would he be dreamy? Would he be bearded or not bearded? What did English people in the Reformation time? I don't know. I think there was a description of him, but yeah, like he was. I mean, he was into falconry and everything. He was. He was an English gentleman. They had. They had hunting with falcons. Hunting with falcons. (laughs) They had. They had in the index like an actual like warrant and like his description in the index so yes. that, like that described him yes. like still so how the english were circulating literature looking for this priest yeah. and it ex- described him so we'd have to go back to that and then like, okay. find it we'll that. get back to we'll him. get back to yeah you. i think aaron had a, a, a music recommendation yeah the song what song? Je- jesus christ and the apple tree philip campbell posted an article on unum sanctum catholicum and it's just like saying we need to have good music no one ever converted to listen to gather us in and then he was kind of scrolling through the uh, the comments on the youtube fa- page for this um it's like in english king's choir and it's just like some king's guy had, college. It's king's college sorry some guy had said in the comments like i'm an atheist but like this cut to my heart and made me cry or something like that and he was like no one ever says that to like cbw2 songs or cbw3 songs so that's there's our Christmas recommendation. Advent. Yeah. Well, that's Advent. It'll, be, it'll be Christmas. <laughs> Is it actually more of an Advent song? It's a Christmas song. Yeah. Well, it's it's just written about our Lord. I mean, it's it yeah. could be an anytime song. Yeah, it could really. be anytime. Yeah. There's so no there's cool. no glory. Is it? No, it's not a Lent song. It's, it could be a Lent song. It could be yeah. whatever you want. Not the forbidden Alleluia word either. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. Cool. 
cool guys well well thank you very much everybody for listening to this podcast um it's going to be shared everywhere so we hope that you enjoy it and share it with your friends and your family and we'll be talking to you in the next one have a blessed advent